Hey coaches, Lauren here from the ITA bringing you another podcast from Dave Mullins. In the summer of 2023, Dan Oosterhaus was named the Associate AD for recruiting at the Air Force Academy after spending 14 years as the head men's tennis coach. Dan achieved the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force after serving in multiple combat support overseas deployments. In 2013, he suffered two brainstem strokes, but recovered to compete in the 2014 and 2016 USA Invictus Games and continue his coaching career. Dan served his country, the Air Force Academy, and college tennis with great distinction. In this podcast, Dan and Dave discuss his new role, his views on the current and future state of NCAA Olympic sports, recruiting insights, and what lessons coaches can apply from the U.S. military. And because this is the last podcast of 2023, we want to give thanks to our coaches and listeners. We hope you guys get the downtime you deserve before the season gets started. Have a safe and happy holiday season, and we look forward to more episodes in 2024. Dan Oosterhaus, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thanks, David. It's it's an honor to be here. I've, I've listened to your, your podcast for years and uh, really, really uh, excited to talk to you today. Oh, well, good. It's definitely, uh, I know Evan um, had, had mentioned, uh, hey, you really got, you got to have Dan. He's, he's got an <laughs> incredible story. We got to get him on the podcast. And so it's, it's uh, yeah, I need to do these more regularly than once a month so I can uh, get to everybody on my list, but we're getting there eventually, which is, which is all good. And obviously you've had some changes um, in the last few months that I want to get into and maybe on a new perspective, but a different perspective on things that I think will be very helpful for coaches. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your new role at at Air Force, Um, you know, and and now that you're kind of more involved in the day-to-day of actually how an athletic department works, even though as the head men's tennis coach, you were in the athletic department, but seeing it from the administrative side, I think is a little bit different. And, and, uh, you know, are there any lessons there for coaches that things you were like, oh, you know, why doesn't the athletic department do this or that? And now you have a new appreciation for why it's maybe not as straightforward as as maybe you thought it once was. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Um, you know, I, I'm really thrilled to be in this new role. It's not something that um, I ever really saw myself doing. You know, being in administration wasn't something that I had a goal for myself for. I always thought that I would be a tennis coach forever. It was my my dream job to come back and coach at the Air Force Academy and uh, and coach the team that I played for. So I was really living, you know, my dream and I got to do it for 15 incredible years. It was um, it was wonderful. But, um, you know, right right now I'm, I'm actually working in a position where I do feel like I'm still impacting not just our tennis team, but but all of our sports teams. And so um you just never know how long you're going to be able to coach and you never know um, when that end is going to be there or how you're going to make that decision. But it was the right choice for me to move over. And I'm now the director of our athletic recruiting office. And so I get to work with all of our coaches um, as they recruit student athletes for the Air Force Academy. And what's I think really special about the job is, is because our school, um, the admissions process is so long and complicated. I'm helping the coaches with all their recruits directly. And then I tie in with admissions. And so I, I spend a lot of time understanding, uh, you know, all the inner workings of admissions and the athletic department to make sure we're, we're getting the right students for our school. Hmm. 
So do you have, a, I guess, a new appreciation for some of the challenges that the admission uh, offices face? Because I know every school is different and you speak to some coaches and they're frustrated that they weren't able to get a player into school, but hmm. then the school in the next state, you know, had no no issues getting them in whatsoever. Has there been any lessons there? There, there certainly are. And, you know, it's admissions, is a, it's a tough business and, you know, it's certainly recruiting. I mean, what I've gained the experience from is, is seeing the different priorities that all our coaches have. I mean, they, they want to find the best talent that they can for their team, but ultimately we're trying to bring in the right student athlete for our school that will become an Air Force officer. And so it, it is very challenging. Um, you know, our student athletes may be able to get into another school, but not into here. And so our coaches are constantly having to battle that. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great perspective for me to see, not just inside the tennis community, but also being able to, to work with our track and field coach, our football coach, our wrestling coach. Um, it, it's really opened my eyes to the challenges of, a, of an athletic department and, and what, what, you know, the, the difficulties that an athletic director faces, the sports supervisors face. I don't, I don't supervise any particular sport. Um, so I don't, I don't have those issues, but I work closely with every coach. And that's what I love about it is that I'm just, I'm very involved in helping them develop and grow their programs. And, and I, I don't have to stress so much right now about the winning and losing, which was, which was the highest of highs for me and also the lowest of lows. But, um, but now, you know, my, my wins and losses are on, you know, trying to help the coaches get the, the recruits that they believe can help their teams out. And, and, you know, just what I've also seen is that administrators, they, they want their teams to do well. They are trying to help out their teams as much as they can, but there are priorities, you know, and so I definitely have seen um, more from that side as well, which I've learned a lot about. Yeah. And so you mentioned, Dan, your, your dream was to um, coach the men's team there at Air Force. And, and obviously you realized that dream, but I guess I'm interested in, in why, you know, you had this, mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously a great tennis career at Air Force and then went into the service and, and you studied civil engineering, I believe. So you you obviously had all these other interests um, in your life and, and a very global perspective, seeing the world, et cetera. But so why, why college coaching? Why, why did it attract you so much? Well, th- this this school did so much for me. You know, I, I did the, the recruiting process as a as a junior and senior in high school and just fell in love with the Air Force Academy and what it had to offer. I also took visits to other schools and they had they had great advantages, but this one had everything that I was looking for. Um, just a beautiful location, an incredible coach, incredible education opportunities with the engineering programs here is really what attracted me. And then because I had such a, a great experience as a, as a tennis player here, I wanted to come back and, and give back to my school and my team. And so um, I actually did not get to use my engineering degree. Um, I chose to become a pilot in the Air Force. And so I um, had to choose a path, either flying or, or becoming an engineer. And I chose to, to be a pilot. And I loved doing that. I did that for 15 years. I got to fly you know, all over the world in, in a big airplane. And the mission that we did was really impactful and um, loved, just loved helping people out. And so we would take people all over the world. Um, and I got to see a lot. It, it, you mentioned global. I mean, that's what that, I was a global airlift um, pilot. And so it was really, really uh, eye-opening to me just to, 
kind of see all, all, you know, all different cultures, um, how small the world really is. And that, that gave me a perspective of, Hey, I want to, I want to help as many people as I can. And so being a coach was one way I could do that. And I always tried to come back, um, each time I was up for a new position, come back and convince the air force that this is the best way I could help was to come back and, uh, help bring people into the air force Academy, coach them, um, in a sport that I loved and then send them off to be the officers. Amazing. So yeah, coaching, uh, at one of the academies, how, how is it maybe a little different, not really from the recruiting side of it. I think coaches understand, you know, some of the challenges there, but just the, the day to day, the type of schedule that these, um, student athletes are, are on maybe compared to, uh, every other university in in the country. I mean, what are some of those challenges when you would go recruiting and you'd speak with your counterparts at other schools and go, oh, that that's a little different from how I'm used to maybe doing things on a day-to-day basis or the type of student-athlete I'm coaching? Right. I mean, there are, there are definite challenges um, with just the daily schedule, but ultimately what, what all our coaches – um, love about this place and and remember the bottom line is that we are developing these future leaders um, to to be officers in the Air Force and now the Space Force and so we we as coaches do that through athletics and so athletics is such a big part of our our mission of our school which is to develop these leaders um, and we we bring in really smart, talented student athletes and then we push them even harder than they've ever been pushed before and you see them fail um you see them you know struggle uh they they don't know yet how high their potential is um, because we push them every day not just on the tennis court but in their their military training or you know physically outside the court um they they have to do extra stuff academically they get pushed and so you see them every day and you may not get their best. They're going to be tired. They're going to be worn down. Um, they, they come out to practice sometimes and it's, they just want to take a break because they've been exhausted from their, their studies or whatever's going on in their classes. Um, and so that's a challenge that you have that um, I, I think was um, eye-opening to me at the beginning because even though I went through it, it you, you kind of forget how tough it was and as a coach, you want to see your players come to practice with bright eyes and just full of energy every day. And you expect them to, to this is the most important thing of their day, but ultimately it wasn't. Um, and so you have to do the, the most you can with what you get um, from the athletes when they come down. And so um, all our sports go through that. I think that's probably the most difficult thing that we dealt with. Um, but, you know, ultimately we're using athletics to teach them these leadership skills that they will go out and use um, in the real world, serving their country, which is uh, it's, it's a great mission. Right. And so how, how did you, how did you strike that balance as a coach? Cause I think that's something all coaches struggle with. It's like this player is, is definitely looking tired. I know something's <laughs> going on. Uh, they're not themselves. They're low on energy. Um, but I'm going to push them today or I'm going to go and say, Hey, you know, take it easy today. Let's just do 10 more minutes intense. And then let's call it a day after that. Like, 
what was that decision tree like for you? And, and, uh, you know, as coaches, again, it's not a science, right? I mean, but did you feel like you got better at that over time or does it just, it's always a constant challenge? I, I definitely uh, progressed through my coaching career and my philosophy on that. Um, as a brand new coach, I was super strict on my team. There were no days off. There was no excuses. There were, it was, um, I was, I would say a little, a little too hardcore um, when it came to those things. Cause I didn't, I didn't want my guys to, to be able to, to use tennis as, as a way to, you know, relax. I wanted them to push so, so hard. And I think I was probably a little bit overboard on that. Um, there were some things in my life that happened that taught me that, Hey, um, it's not all about tennis. You know, it's not all about the winning and losing on the court. It's the, there are other lessons that, that we can be teaching them. Um, and so I, I learned a little bit um, later in my coaching career, I think, to be a better listener and, and listen to the team and listen to, you know, their voice of what was really going on in their lives and, and be able to um, take that and, and, and make better decisions for them, um, for how we practiced, how we scheduled, you know, when to give them that time off. I, I definitely um, progressed in my career of, of, of learning uh, how to back off a little bit when it, when it was appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as I finished my career, I realized that, man, it really is about the relationships that you have with your players. And if they know that you care about them as people um, first, then they're going to do anything for you. And so you're going to get their best if they really trust you and, and I think that's just something I, I, I got better at um, throughout the years. It took a while. Um, and I just, I learned from other coaches. I learned from, from my players. And that's something I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful that I got to, to see the end of that, of, of, of finishing where I was, I was, I felt like that was one of my strengths, was being able to understand the needs of the players and, and yet still get the most out of them. Right. And back to the recruiting side of it, Dan. So you're... I mean, that's that's what you're doing now on a daily basis and, and trying to help, like you said, all all sports. I'm interested in I, I could go a lot of different ways with this question, but I'm fascinated to learn what you've maybe been hearing or seeing from coaches in other sports. How, are they recruiting? Is every coach recruiting differently or is it kind of uh much of a muchness in, in terms of one sport to the next. I understand with scholarships and that breakdown, but what are some of the differences maybe you've seen between coaches or, or sports, but then also this idea of, um, well, let's start there. Let, let, let's go with yeah. that. Are you seeing differences there? Right. I mean, the as I, as I mentioned before, the bottom line for our school is we have to recruit student athletes that want to do something bigger in their life than their sport. They're gonna use the sport to develop those leadership skills, but ultimately they're gonna become graduates of our school and officers in the Air Force. And so all the coaches know that. And so they have to be looking for that um, in, the, in, their, in their recruits. So that's, that's kind of the bottom line. But where I, I see where I, I try to make sure that, I try to make sure that, that myself as the recruiting director or the coaches aren't working harder than the student athlete to get into school here. Like the, we have to see the desire and the commitment and the willingness of the student to go through our application process, to do the hard work, to, to, to get the grades that you need. 
and we can't want them more than they want to be here. I mean, you may want this amazing, talented athlete because they're they're the best in their sport and whatever it is, but they've got to want to be here. And so I think some coaches, and I was like this as a younger coach, you may overlook some of those flags, those red flags that pop up that, you know, maybe the mom or the dad is doing a lot of the application or Maybe you're talking to the parent more than you're talking to the, the, the student athlete. And those are things that maybe I overlooked and, and younger coaches may overlook those things as potential flags that really this, this is more about the parent or more about you know, how much does the kid really want to be at my institution. And um, that, that's just something that I think uh, I, I, can, I can see that in, in different areas where, man, that we, we have to find the right kids for this place. Right. And so then building off that, Dan, because I think, again, it's a struggle, especially for new coaches coming into the industry. It's like, well, you know, how, how big do I build that list and, and mm -hmm. how far do I cast that net? And then does it become too overwhelming and you're maybe not as specific into what are those characteristics that, that you want in a recruit and, you know, parts of the country or, or parts of the world even, um, Obviously, we've got the ratings there that give you some guidance to to get started in, in terms of the the playing level. But you know, how do you advise coaches in terms of building out that list? Because you have to go and identify very specific kids. So I guess my question is, how do you go about identifying those kids that that you know really will be a good fit for your program, and then? you know, how, how big should that list be? I, I don't know. Those are tough questions, but if you, yeah, could... I, I think, uh, you know, how much, how much time do you have? And, and one, one as a coach, like how much time are you going to be putting right. into recruiting is I think a, a big answer to how big your list is going to be. Okay. One thing that I learned about recruiting is it, it never, ever, ever ends. You always want more. And even if you think you have a great class, you want to make the next class better. And so you're always trying to recruit better players the next year you you want your your incoming freshman to start but then the next year you want them you know to be you know passed over by the next guys like you're always trying to do better in recruiting and so it, it never ends and so you you have to realize that there there is a limit you know you you've got to be able to focus on the the key student athletes that are going to make your program better um the the one thing that i saw as a, as a tennis coach that um that really gave me a good insight into how serious this potential player was about playing college tennis wasn't necessarily his ranking or his UTR or his WTN. Um, it was how many matches, how many competitive matches do they play? Like I, I use that as a metric when I was recruiting, like, are they playing 20 matches a year? Are they playing 50 matches a year? Are they playing hundred matches a year? And that I wanted to find players that loved to compete. And so um, seeing that number was really important to me. I mean, how many tournaments are they signing up for? Or are they only signing up for one a month? You know, and, and I, I feel like they're, you, you got to find people that, that want to compete and love to compete. And so that was, that was one of the things that I, I learned that was really helpful to gauging how, how much, how bad does this kid want to be a college tennis player? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really helpful. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, really interesting. Coaches, uh, um, you know, 
we read all these books, right, about the the military and and the leaders within the military and throughout history and uh, are there lessons there that that we can apply and and kind of building that that culture of hard work, et cetera. But before we get into that, I mean, h- how did your years of of service impact your philosophy on on life and coaching uh, or coaching if you don't want to get into the life side of things? <laughs> no, I, I you know I kind of mentioned it before, but just being able to see um, the world as a smaller than I. I I knew it to be when I grew up in an East Texas town. I never left, you know, the South when I was playing junior tennis or just even the country. I never played outside the U.S., but being able to travel around the world gave me a perspective that it's not just about the United States. We have to be able to, you know, interact and understand different cultures. And that gave me this different perspective of, hey, people have to be able to work together. And so that was kind of the first thing. And then secondly, is that tennis is I believe tennis as a sport just helps you so much in the challenges that you're going to face in life. Um, It's, it's a, it's a team sport, but yet it's an individual sport and you have to, you, you have to learn to figure things out and you, you face adversity and you, 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 you push yourself and, you know, just because you, you work hard, doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to win that day. You know, I, I think that tennis really exposes us because we're out there on a stage you know, kind of by ourselves and you have to perform under pressure and, and just, you know, it, it wasn't just the service, but it was the lessons I learned through tennis um, that, that just really helped me in life. Um, I did have some really serious medical setbacks 10 years ago that um, it was through sports and, and adaptive sports that just really helped me get back. I had two strokes and that changed my life. I was a, I was an active coach. I was, I'd coached that morning and played tennis that morning and went to bed. And the next morning I, I didn't have function um, on the whole right side of my body. And three weeks later, the left side of my body went out. And so 10 years on, I'm still um, working through that, but just the lessons I learned through the military of hard work, perseverance, dealing with adversity, and also on the tennis court really helped me as a person get through the toughest thing in my life, which was a medical issue. And being able to pass that on to my players is something they saw every day. And uh, just, you know, having that never quit attitude, I think, was something that that I learned um, on the on the court and here at school. Mm-hmm. Very good. And yeah, back back to this idea. I mean, uh, I get the sense and again, I'm a I'm a foreigner looking at this maybe through movies or or books I'm reading and things like that. But I get the sense that the U.S. military is is very much focused on, um, you know, those one percent incremental improvements. How do we make our our service men and women, um, you know, uh, fitter, stronger, uh, more resilient? Um, you know, you you name it. You know, how do we turn these individuals into the best versions of themselves? And and obviously that's what coaches are trying to do. And in, in programs all across the country just to maybe not to that that next level that that the service um, student athletes are going towards but they're 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 always looking for ways to improve their culture to um, have their student athletes uh, reach their potential are, are there things that and, and imagine there's a lot of ongoing education just of 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 especially all the trainers within the military that they're always looking for that. They're not, there's no 
there's no nobody staying static what's the latest research mm -hmm. telling us and then how do we apply it and i think sometimes in in coaching we can get a little bit static you know we're still operating off the model uh from 15 years ago as to how to build team culture or how to condition our athletes or or what we should be feeding them etc so are there some things that maybe you've learned over the last decade um that that you were able to implement with your team that could be beneficial to other coaches out there trying to maximize what they do with their their teams yeah i mean i i think um you know one thing that that i really have always appreciated about being in the military is that we just we have these these founding principles and we, we i mean become core values you know it's not every 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 high performing organization has core values and but what's what's great about the air force is we we put them up on our walls you know it's right when you enter our school hey here are the core values of our institution and what we're all about and so that's something that our students see every day um we we talk about it with them constantly and i i lived in that culture of Hey, this is what we believe in, you know, integrity. That's our, our first core value service before self. So, you know, we're always putting, um, you know, other people first, we're trying to help people out. And then the last one is excellence, you know, so integrity, service, and excellence, those are our three core values. And so everything that we do here at the air force Academy is built around those three, um, whether it's in academics, um, you know, training and military, or on the athletic fields. And so it just, there's, yeah, there's always new techniques and new um, technology, but it comes back to those principles. And so it, if you just keep things simple, um, I think that you can, you can build programs and very successful programs and whatever it is, if you have good solid core values and, and they could be any number of core values, but those, that's what we believe in here. And that's, that's what I, um, I've always, you know, strive to, give to my team every day um, out on the court. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And that's, that's again, something we're trying to help young coaches with, especially through our coach up our credentialing program is having them get clear on what their values and philosophy. Um, because again, as we said earlier, sometimes coaches come into the industry, they're just mimicking what their coach did and, and not really thinking about what's important to them. So I love that idea of, of keeping things simple because sometimes mm -hmm. We're, we're reaching for all the fancy stuff and the shiny objects um, instead of, yeah, just going to something a little bit more simplistic. <laughs> but yeah, Dan, I mean, as you're, you served as, as a college coach for, I think you said 14 years, um, you served on, on NCAA tennis committees, ITA committees, uh, now you're your administrator. I think this question is, is top of mind for me. And I think a lot of I hope a lot of coaches, because I think they should be thinking about this um, a lot and, and thinking about the bigger picture and not just what's best for their team today, because there's so much change happening in the world of college athletics. Um, you know, there's just things that we're left scratching our head at. Most recently, there's a $76 million payout to the Texas A&M coach, and, and you're just again as, as somebody from a different country at just that number i just can't believe it but it's happening <laughs> and and what are the trickle down effects of that when when student athletes certain student athletes are saying they want to be employees 
and athletic departments are saying, well, if we do that, we don't have the money yet. Here's an athletic department paying $76 million to somebody who's not going to work for them any longer. And I'm just interested, as you've looked at the big picture, you've been involved in it. You've always, I've always appreciated just how you've looked at things from, from many different angles. What are you seeing? What are the conversations maybe you're having within your athletic department? Where are we three, five years from now, in your opinion? Well, I, I'm certainly, I've not been in this role very long, but I, I definitely learned some things. And I, I think you see it as a tennis coach a little bit. And you, one of the things you have to understand is kind of where you, where you stand within your department, where you stand as a, as a sport among all the other college sports. And there are definite priorities. And I think you just, um, you know, tennis is not very high on many athletic directors lists. It's just not. And it, there, there are, there are definite sports that drive the train. And I I've seen a little bit more of that now. And I understand that. And it's, it's nothing that, um, that I, I'm going to be able to change. I mean, that's just, that's the way it is. I mean, the bigger sports run the departments. Um, that's not to say that they don't, that administrators don't, don't care and aren't concerned about their student athletes at those sports. They are, but um, we have to realize kind of where we are. And I'm definitely worried. I'm, I'm concerned about Olympic sports in general. You know, those are, I mean, we, we, we aren't the revenue generating sports in our department or across the country. And so I think we, we have to have and continue to have strong leadership within those sports, within the governing body of, you know, the ITA and USTA and, and, and work together. Like our coaches have to be great leaders within our sport. And so we, we have to have a collective voice. I think that's really important for us to be unified as a sport when we're, when we are looked at um, for these tough decisions. You know, um, I, I, I am very concerned about the Olympic sports. I, I do see like the bigger conferences and schools having more autonomy in three to five years. I think that's almost inevitable of there being a separation in and those sports and those schools having more decision-making power, autonomy uh, of, of being able to set the rules. And um, I think that will collectively uh, be, be a detriment to the smaller sports, the Olympic sports, because, um, you know, we're, I think we're going to end up maybe even, you know, combining divisions. I mean, that's just something I can see happening where, you know, there's just not the, the funding available to, to continue the model that we have right now at three or four separate divisions, um, a national model. I just, I think our, our smaller sports may, may combine um, into, um, you know, several different across the divisions. And so I just, I think there's, there's potential that we could lose more sports. I, I remember coming out of COVID or being in COVID with tennis, I think of all the, of all the division sports um, lost the most, you know, it was really, really tough to see. And that was very eye-opening. And so I, I just think, you know, we need to continue to have great leadership within our tennis community um, and our coaching staffs to, to understand, you know, where we fit and how we can best, you know, continue to, to have this sport five, 10, 20 years from now. I mean, if you look at the, the numbers of junior players that are playing, I, I see a lot of stuff that says, Hey, there is more interest at the junior level of, of tennis across the, across the United States, which is a very positive sign. And I think we need, you know, we need to find ways to capitalize on that and, and keep our, our sports strong. But I, I do think in three to five years, there will be a, it'll, it, athletic departments will look a lot different across, across the country. 
Uh, well, thanks for for sharing that, and and uh, yeah, it's it's every day. There's there's something that you're. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's keeping me up at night, I guess, right now. Mm -hmm. And and uh, we're all paying close attention, and that's sometimes I think I've said it on the the podcast before. It's 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 worrying when you you speak to the people that are very much in the know, um, and they they still are are confused about where we're going here they, they can't really give you a, a clear answer um and uh they know that the change is happening change is going to happen but um it just yeah makes it like i said how do we prepare for these changes and and are there things that we can get out ahead of as a coaches association um to uh to be leaders in the space for olympic sports and i think our relationship with the usta our, our very positive relationship right. Is getting a lot of positive attention from the NCA, from the USOPC. People recognizing that we're creating kind of a, a separate model here for how an Olympic sport can be run with the coaches' association and the NGB working closely together. Um, but uh, but yeah, time will tell, and and we've just got to stay. Uh, I, I guess the message is that we can't we can't take our foot off the gas. I mean, you you can't as a college coach. You can't think that the way you have it now is necessarily going to be the case five, 10 years from now, and that we can't take a step back from it and, and assume that everything's going to be okay. We've got to, and we've also got to protect. I mean, that's that's why I come to work every day. I mean, trying to protect what we have for future generations of coaches and players, because we know how... Uh, you know, vital that experience was for how it shaped our, our life philosophy. So. Right. Um, and just, just one more thing to add on that, David is, is I just, I think that coaches at every school have an amazing opportunity and a responsibility to, to bring value to your, to the athletic department and, and use, use, create opportunities that you can show your school, your athletic department, you know, what that value is. And so engaging with the community, um, engaging with the student body, you know, don't, don't be a, a program that's just isolated and only does things in your bubble, but make sure you get out across the school and the department and the community to, to show the value of your program. And then your student athletes will be the ones to, to show that um, you be the leader to set up those, those opportunities, but really let your student athletes shine in those moments. Yeah, well, great advice, Dan. Um, well, with your your transition last summer, um, Evan Urbina, your your assistant coach uh, for several years, uh, transitioned into head coaching uh, position, which which was awesome. And and Evan's been in our mentorship program. I got to know him. Obviously, he's going to go on to have a lot of su success as a as a college coach. But any advice? or do you have any advice for, for coaches, maybe head coaches and assistant coaches, but head coaches who know they're getting ready to make that transition, retiring, whatever it is from college coach and how they, if they believe their assistant coach is the right person for the job, how might they help best position or mentor that person? And then are there any strings they can be pulling within the athletic department to help with that smooth transition and give that, that candidate the best shot? Well, I, I think that um, one, one thing that I did also learn through my time in the military is that 
you should always be training your replacement always. And I think that, um, you know, you should never be comfortable in your position, even though I had the greatest job in the world and it was my dream job. I knew that I wasn't going to do it forever. And so, um, years down the road, it got, I got to the point where I started thinking I, I've got to be able to train and develop the next Air Force men's tennis coach. And I, I didn't know exactly who it was going to be at, at, you know, at any given time, but I, I definitely um, wanted to pass on everything I had learned. And Evan, as my assistant, what I, what I found myself doing is um, each year giving him more and more responsibility um, and allowing him to be involved in more of the decision-making processes. I think it's um, as a head coach, you can, you can easily try to do everything and control everything and make all the decisions and just be kind of a hoarder of all the information. And I think that's kind of maybe a natural um, instinct that I have is I, I want to be in charge. Um, and, and I had to learn how to mentor my assistant. And I, I saw so much growth um, and I had several assistants, but, but Evan being the most recent, um, he was the one that I every year would give an additional responsibility to. It, it would start with doing all the trip planning and then it would get involved in the budgeting and then it would get more involved in the recruiting, making offers um, to student athletes, getting involved in scheduling. So each year, more and more responsibility onto, onto an assistant coach, I think really helps those assistant coaches grow and get beyond just on-court coaching. I mean, it's, it's really important to be able to do that very well. Player development is one of the most important things that we can do, but there's, there, there are a lot more things that we want our assistants to learn about. And um, I, I, I just think if you're a head coach and you can take any opportunity you can to give your assistant insight into the decisions that you're making really helps them grow and then make, let them make the decisions, you know, um, make, let them, Hey, if you're, if you're the head coach, what would you do for a lineup decision? You know, who do you want to play at this position? Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just getting input for them now actually saying, all right, I'm going to let you make the call today. Um, maybe on picking doubles teams. And so just, Throughout the process of, of being a head coach, I I love giving um, you know that uh, that responsibility onto an assistant and, and watching them grow and really seeing them understand you know how to, how to make a team work. So um, that was that was really uh, you know when, when I when I saw that that Evan had you know he was ready. I, I knew he was ready, and it was that was a sign for me also that, Hey, you know, there is somebody that can take up and, and fill my shoes and, and do even better than I did. And, and, and that's, that was another reason why I knew it was time. Um, you know, all of us coaches, we're, we're so lucky that we get to do this job. It is the best job, but you, you never know when it's going to end. And so um, I, I saw that as an opportunity that I had been able to give him more and more responsibility. So I knew that it was the right time. Right. All right, Dan, let's move into rapid fire. What was your favorite drill to do with your team? I loved doubles drills and the most important person on the court, I believe is the server's partner. And so I ran drill after drill after drill, working on the server's partner um, from getting comfortable 
being close to the net and close to the tee, um, close to the net strap. And so we would just um, work all the different angles, work all different um, feeding opportunities where you could uh, get that, get the service partner to be more uh, confident, close to the net and ending the point after the return. That was, that was my favorite drill. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite college player of all time that you did not coach and why? Well, when I, when I came into coaching, um, the best player was Stevie Johnson at USC and, um, what he was able to do at USC winning four titles in a row and then finishing his last two years undefeated was unbelievable. But even beyond that, um, he was the first, first college player that I saw have high level of success in the pro tour and many folks followed behind him. And that's where we're seeing all that success today. I mean, it started even before him, but, but he was the first that I saw do it go from the transition of college to pros. So I'd say CD. Okay. What is one rule change that could help college tennis be more engaging to fans? Um, well, I, I think that, you've got to find a way to put the men and the women on the court at the same time. And we, we've done that here. And that was, those were the biggest uh, fan um, experiences, player experiences that we ever had is we put our men's and women's teams side by side in dual matches. Now you have to have a facility with 12 courts, but um, that created the best atmosphere that I've ever experienced as a coach. We did it down at the national campus um, when we played Army or Navy, and it was phenomenal. Um, the six doubles matches at once, the 12 singles matches at once, the fan engagement was the best that I've ever seen. And so I think more opportunities to bring your two programs together um, is, is, is a way to increase fan engagement. Okay. Um... Is there a book that had an impact on your coaching career? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I find uh, inspiration in a lot of things, David, and um, not just inside of sports, but I, I'm a big, um, like, uh, space, uh, rocket science type of uh, nerd, and I, I love anything about NASA. My favorite book is... Um, was written by um, Gene Krantz. He was a NASA flight director. The book is called Failure is Not an Option. And it was about his experiences as a flight director recovering a mission from the moon that had an explosion and they brought um, our astronauts back safely. And it's just, it's a story about, you know, really hard, 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 difficult decisions, adversity, overcoming challenges, and I can apply it to anything in life. And so um, that was my favorite book. Okay. Failure is not an option. That's the name of the yes. book. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been known to sneak away at, in the evening at matches down in Orlando to go to Cape Canaveral and, uh, <laughs> and watch several photograph or watch several launches. So yeah, that's, that's a big hobby of mine. So yeah. Good for you. All right, Dan. Well, I think we did it. Um, that was great. Thank you for, um, for so many things, for your service to the ITA, we, we miss you on the operating committee um, a, a lot. We miss your involvement uh, in college tennis in, in general. I know it always have a, a special place in your heart. Um, thank you for your, your service to, to this country. I say I'm a foreigner, but I'm a dual dual mm -hmm. citizen in Ireland and, and, and the U.S. Um, 
but uh but yeah really really great to reconnect um please uh stay in touch and and stay involved with with yeah sort of tennis as a whole we need you thank you david and if i could just just i'm sorry but add one more one more pitch to all the coaches out there that the best way to have an impact is to get involved um and that can start at such um the level of your regional committees um that, that that's how i got involved i i wanted to know more about the rankings it was as simple as that i want to know how to get my guys ranked and just just learning how the it works um you can you can make a big impact if you just get involved and that's the best way to make change so um please um please make sure the coaches hear that and i would i would just encourage folks to do it thank you dan i think that's an important message i think sometimes coaches want things to happen a lot faster and and uh, we have a, a democratic system with our governance structure other sports look at us and think we're crazy that uh, we take <laughs> all this input from coaches but i absolutely love it i mean that's uh, one of my favorite parts of the job is hearing all the different perspectives trying to then meld all those perspectives together and what is the best direction forward but um but but thank you it's it's i think sometimes coaches say well i sat on a committee and and nothing happened it's like maybe that's a good thing that nothing happened because you guys came to conclusions that no this isn't a decision that we want to move forward with and uh yeah things don't happen overnight and something that uh was discussed maybe at an operating committee three years ago is now taking effect right no, I love that too. Here. So just keep that up. Thank you, Dan. All right. Well, great to see you. Okay. You too, David. Thanks for what you do. Have a great, great holiday. Thank you.